0: Week is a collection of short interviews that Kip managed to capture while he was at the Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans in late July. You'll hear from the following people: Vicky Diaz of Brittany Sales, Jacob Salazar of Broken Shaker, and Ellen Slots, who runs her own hospitality consulting business, Ingrid Rodriguez of Whistle Pig Rye Whiskey, Seth Miller of the Spotted Cat, George Rollet of La Fee Absinthe, Matthew and Lori Westfall of Archipelago Gin and Full Circle Craft Distillers, Elissa Dunn, a former guest of the podcast, and you can find her on Instagram at the.badass.bartender, Nikki and Henry Price of Price Imports, Janai Williams of prettymagiccocktails.com, Danny Posey, bartender manager at The Amendment in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and we finish off with Yelena Anter and her team of Maddie and Eunice of Cocktail Vision. For more information on all the guests interviewed, check the show notes for all the links. Enjoy the show.
1: Okay, this is a live interview from Tales of the Cocktail. Your host as always Skip Saunders. This is Vicki Diaz. She is here at Tales of the Cocktail from Florida. And tell us about your experience so far, Vicki.
2: So it's been great, I got in at like 10th in the morning, I checked into my hotel. My room wasn't ready, so I think I've hit like six events
1: <laughs> since then. Uh, I, my room was ready, and I have also done that. So. Oh,
2: well, yeah. <laughs> so I have no excuse. <laughs> so I, my bag is still at the concierge. I still haven't even made it back to my hotel room yet.
1: Also, you were telling me this is like your fourth Tales?
2: Correct, yeah. So this is my fourth Tales. Obviously, so I've been 2017, 2018, 2019. 20 and 21, there was no in-person tales. It was virtual, and then I'm back for 2022.
1: Nice. And have you noticed any differences post plague, or does it seem? I know you just got in today, but like, what can you tell me? Does it seem about the same, or?
2: You know, I got us say, well, you're right. I just got in today, but it seems like there's uh, less debauchery on the streets. I feel like even in years past when I would get in in the morning, you you know, there was a lot more drunken bodies walking this, you know, Bourbon Street or the streets of French Quarter Not any at all times, uh, like, like zombies. And I haven't really seen that much this time. I feel like the people that are actually here are more more engaged in the brands, they're more interested in the content that the seminars are are providing. And more interested in, in, yeah, like the experience that the the brands are providing too. So, I feel like. Uh, This time around, people are a bit more buttoned up, which is funny. You would think that two years of not having it, it would be madness. But no, I think for the most part, people have been pretty self-contained. Granted, I have no idea what went on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, which I know there were some pretty uh, big events that went on, and I unfortunately missed those.
1: That's interesting, though. Like, it's interesting to hear that, like... It's because con- I would have expected the same things. Like, oh my God, we're finally fucking allowed to come out again and come to this cool event. That it would be nonsense. But you're saying it seems a little bit more pared down.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I might sound silly saying that, knowing who knows, you know, who knows what yeah, went we'll on. We'll see
1: what happens on the weekend.
2: Correct. Yeah. yeah. But also, I'm from Florida. The state has been open pretty much throughout the entire pandemic. So.
1: Yeah, you guys don't give a fuck.
2: Yeah, you know, we're kind of like the <laughs> renegades out there. So... I don't know, and I I feel like for the most part there's a lot of people from there's a lot of people from all over, but the the U S has been fairly open. I know it's not really the case in Canada.
1: Not so much, though. unfortunately. Uh, okay, so tell us the place that you work and you, the job that you do, and why you're in the service industry, and then tell me why you're rocking a bottle of plantation rum.
2: Okay, so I work for a beverage broker called Brittany Sales in Florida. Uh, we're one of the oldest brokers out there, and we're actually the broker for Maison Ferrand. I'm actually here because Maison Ferrand owns Citadel Gin, which is one of the spirits that's nominated for a spirited award. They're in the top four.
1: I just went to that event today. Wow. It was awesome. The Citadel Gin, I can back it up. It's amazing.
2: It is amazing. Yeah, the Jardin des de Tens, our new uh SKU is our new item, and that's the one that's nominated for Best New Spirit at, for the Spirited Awards.
1: Awesome! Well, thank you so much for doing this on the spot at Bacchanal Wine Bar on like where where was is this? Is this the North End of New Orleans, Ninth Ward ish. Sure,
2: your that's, guess is yeah, as
1: good. Mine, as good. mine too. Mine too. I, I just put
2: in the Uber and they, they I magically appeared here. So
1: I know it's right around the corner from Vons, which is like the best live music spot in the city. So yeah, so but this place is awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Great to meet you.
3: Likewise, thank you so much.
1: Okay, I'm here with Jacob and Ellen at the Bacchanal Wine Bar in New Orleans at Tales of the Cocktail. This bar is fucking awesome. I think we all can understand that.
4: Thank you for reminding us. Yeah.
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perfect. So, Jacob, let's start with you. You are in Miami now by way of Chicago. Where do you work in Miami? Uh, Broken Shaker. Broken Shaker. Uh, tell me a little bit about that bar. It was the first of its, first of actually the whole
6: chain. Started in Miami, moved to New York, moved to Chicago, LA, outdoor bar, nice little pool. It's in a hostel, uh, tiki bar style, chill,
1: relaxed, laid back, it's fun. Sounds, sounds perfectly Miami and awesome, yeah. And same question to you.
4: Hmm. So. I uh, used to be the beverage director at Faina, i'm oh. um, five-star Forbes Hotel. Yeah, it's pretty and fancy. COVID happened; they eliminated that position, so I started up my own business, uh, consulting for different hospitality groups, and I am now and works to do something more within the same industry, but to be determined.
1: Awesome. And are you guys actually a couple? It's not really none of our business, but. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, so. You didn't say
4: yes
1: faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all about who says it quicker. It We're here. It was a fucking race. Uh, but, okay, so let's talk about a little bit about, like, why you're here, why you come to Tales of the Cocktail. Is it your first time here, or have you been no. here multiple times? Second. Second time. Second time? Second experience. Yeah. Um,
0: honestly, a lot
1: of education.
0: You get, you get to know a little bit more people,
1: a lot of networking,
6: but oh God, also, let's be real, it's so the drink. No,
4: education in the fun way yeah it's the drinking a hundred percent no but like it's education in the way that's like related to the industry right so like you could do education in terms of conference seminars in corporate america that are corporate america structured but like how do you educate people who drink and serve drinks for a living not in the same format as conference Seminars, if there's
1: no alcohol involved. So that's what I, I think. You might, may, would you guys agree that that's probably the literally the story of our industry in general? Is that yeah. nobody really? Under, it's very different than any other fucking industry. There's n- there's nothing like it. And my favorite all time is the people who are like, oh, I like to drink at bars. I should probably just open one. Yes. How well do those work? Oh, my
4: God. Yeah,
1: right. Uh, we see those on Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Bar Rescue. Bar Rescue, right. John Taffer takes it John Taffer takes
1: <laughs> Yeah, so one thing I did want to ask you guys, since you've been here before, I assume the first time you went was pre-plague? Yes. Correct. Yeah, okay, so have you noticed any differences? Yeah. Uh, okay, tell me about the um, You start
4: The socialization and education are very disparate. <laughs> So they're separate. So, which is interesting, and there's a more appropriate timeline, I, I would think, speaking for myself though, but of like when things actually happen and when socialization uh, networking happens, but that doesn't, not everything coincides. It's not all, it's it's not cohesive in the same way of, like... It, it's as if someone outside of the industry is creating a conference for the industry.
1: Ah, that's interesting. Wow, that's... That, like, and again, I, I would like to just state for the record, this is my first Tales. I've been in New Orleans a bunch of times. I've interviewed a bunch of people, obviously, all over the world for this show, but I I that's that's good insight, because I would not have known that. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah it's definitely... Uh, it's it's more Focused on like
6: the overall like with retail with you oh, know yeah, owners all that stuff yeah. instead of right. instead of actually focusing more on like the bartender and mm. bar perspective
4: like USBG and Tales of the Cocktail and USBG being the um, you know organization that encourages education encourages networking on a whole. A Across the country, it like coalesces with this event to some degree, and so this is like supposed to be that time in which people can culminate in their experiences. Does it doesn't neglect bartenders, servers, barbacks, front of house, all in general, like the regular person who might be on the ground floor? actually experiencing the interaction with customers that like you can't put them out of this conversation because those are people who are evolved and
1: Right, and you guys feel like that's what sort of changed It's become more about like brands and ownership yeah. than it used to be? Yep. Absolutely yep. Okay, interesting. Well guys, I really appreciate you giving me this little amount of, t- of your time Like I just ran into you at the bar it was very nice of you to do this thank you very much and uh, hopefully we'll meet down the road for a full episode Yeah, yeah? would you guys like to do that yeah. Yeah. okay awesome thanks guys okay I am here with Ingrid Rodriguez at Tales of the Cocktail you can hear the music we're on the street and she's been lovely enough to give me a brief interview Ingrid tell me about yourself
3: Uh, So, I work for Whistlepig Rye Whiskey. This will be my ninth Tales of the Cocktail, so we're really glad to be here. I'm the U.S. brand educator for the East Coast, and I love giving away free whiskey.
1: That's terrible. It sounds awful. So, the one thing I've been asking people on this interview, have you, like, you obviously done a bunch of these, have you noticed any difference pre- and post-plague?
3: Oh, absolutely. Uh, It's actually a lot more professional. Obviously, the change of venue has helped, but what I find the best is that everybody who's come before are now paying attention more to the moments in between events and there's not as much FOMO because people are sitting at the bars and they're just really getting to re-know each other. It's what we keep calling the first time in real life in two years and it's really nice to see all the camaraderie.
1: Oh, that's a beautiful way to put it. That's so nice to hear. Okay, so tell us how people can get in touch with you. And I, also, I'm already hitting you up for a full-length interview. Like, <laughs> listeners, it's happening. She doesn't have a choice anymore. <laughs> She's super interesting and fun. Okay, uh, tell us how people can get in touch with you. Tell us about Whistle Pig. Tell us about the Whistle Pig events in New Orleans. So the
3: best way to get a hold of me is I'm on uh, social media, Instagram, Facebook, as Traveling Whiskey Ferry... Or as Whistlepig Ingrid. Uh, Whistlepig has done a couple of events. Right now we're gonna be hosting a band here, and then tonight we're doing something at DBA with Nickel City. And um, then tomorrow morning we're actually doing a pop-up where you can get a beautiful sparkly maple old fashioned with a mini waffle. It's very important. Breakfast after a long night, let's do that. Um, and then Whistlepig has been around, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary. We are we're known as a rye company, but our goal is to be the best premium whiskey brand on and for this uh, planet. So hopefully by next year we'll have some more spirits for
1: everybody to try awesome and thank thank you for doing this thank you for I, I like, what i say at the end of this is thank you for not thinking i'm a creep who's coming up to you with a phone in your face there's an actual podcast involved we will tag you yes. and we appreciate you thank,
4: thank
3: you. you thank you very much
1: okay. i'm here with seth miller he works at the spotted cat in new orleans one of the all-time great live music venues in, what, Planet Earth? Yeah,
7: probably. Planet Earth? Absolutely. Okay, <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, so Seth was nice enough to step out in the alley and talk to me about the difference between working as a spotted cat during regular New
8: Orleans hours and then Tales of the Cocktail hours. So tell me. Well, for me, the easiest difference is the, the, especially for Tales of the Cocktail, customers are, they're understanding the patient, you know, they're service industry members, so they get it. They understand that yeah. when you're in the weeds, you're not, you know, you're not deliberately ignoring people. You're, right. you're, you're, you're doing your job and you don't get that every time in normal hours. You know, right. like you have the tourists, people who are impatient that want to, you know, hang over the bar, yell bartender. And they're the most important person in the world. It's cool during Tales of the Cocktail everybody kind of understands right. taking their time, patient. Everybody's super friendly, too good conversation, you know, somebody from New York sitting with a person from San Francisco who may work for Buffalo Trace and one for right. someone else, and they it doesn't matter, they're, they're not competing they're sitting there enjoying the music and, and just talking about the industry, which is cool, because this is the only industry where it's still people's service, in my opinion Like yes. it's important for us to all take care of each other, and that's that's what's cool
1: And what's your regular crowd, though?
8: For the most part, in Spotted Cat, I, I have no complaints, It's it's I can have an 80-year-old conservative sitting next to a 21-year-old far-left liberal, and none of that will come up. People are here for the music. They're here for a good time. And, and for the most part, people really enjoy being on Frenchmen because they feel like they're a local. Right. Because this is the local scene, in my opinion. You know, right. This is where we hang out.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's, a, it's a one spot. Like, I mean, I don't come here all the time. I come here as much as I can because it's the best city in the world. But, like, I come here and I'm like, I know if I walk down Frenchman, I'm going to see great live music no matter where I go.
8: Absolutely. Right? And LA, I'm not even from here. I'm, I'm not a New Orleans native. I'm a military brat. Like, this is... Uh, this is my adopted home, and people here, they'll make you feel like you've been here 25 years. They'll make you, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool feeling. Where are you from? Uh, originally born in Jersey, and then i bounced around my entire life. Uh, did five years in my service, my time, and then I came down here after and haven't left. Nice.
1: And why are you staying in the service industry?
8: It, I was actually just having this conversation earlier. It, it is, like I said, the, the last remaining in a sense campfire where you can still talk to people from all over the world and and all the political barriers and all, it's all gone they're just they're just a person sitting at the bar drinking and for me that's fun i like people i like being able to converse and and if somebody leaves new orleans and goes back up to boston and their friends coming down here like you gotta go meet seth you gotta meet him at the spot yes, again that's a cool feeling yes man and i love that yeah like, that's my biggest thing
1: yes thank you so much thanks for doing this man Absolutely. nice meeting you, nice meeting you too. all right Okay, I'm here with George Rollet with Le Fay Absinthe, and he's going to tell you the story about how he came to create this wonderful absinthe.
9: Okay. Hi. Uh, uh, yeah. My name's George. Uh, basically, the the absinthe category was created back in 1998. Uh, that was done from work that I did by legalizing it by doing the first tests on thujone on commercial absinthe. That was achieved by bringing in the thujone as a rare element from America, shipped and gifted to the Prague University. That was a recognised laboratory. They upgraded their um, their equipment there, so the spectroanalysis, so they could scan for thujone. And the first tests on commercial absinthe were carried out. That allowed the category to be opened again. Um, and then we launched our first product at the Groucho Club in Soho in uh, November 1998. And my first ever client was actually Johnny Depp. Um, he was filming Sleepy Hollow in Hertfordshire near my office. They sent a white Stretch limo over to collect parts of bottles because we didn't have a whole bottle. Um, we said we decant it to create the bottle. Lucky a courier arrived with some backup, so we were able to give him a whole bottle. And we said, well, what, what's the urgency that it has to be by the end of today for tomorrow? And he said, oh, that's quite simple. Um, getting on a private jet from Hatfield, flying back to America, and he's going to drink that bottle with Hunter S. Thompson yeah, whilst they whilst <laughs> yeah. they discuss fear and loathing in Las Vegas. And that's exactly what happened you couldn't even write it could you? No. It was like wow and that was that was literally the start of absinthe. Perfect. Um, then uh, moving on from there, uh, we wanted to try and get the the actual element of what is real absinthe right. Because historically proper absinthe never came from the Czech Republic. Uh, pre-ban absinthe never existed there. It only came from France and Switzerland. So I then travelled to in ninety nine I travelled to France uh, with my fiance who speaks fluent French. Now our wife, um, Jane. And between the two of us, we, we petitioned the French Absinthe Museum, uh, which is in Versailles, and the owner and curator is Marie-Claude Delahaye, uh, who has re- written copious books on the subject of absinthe. And she's a, a, a doctorate as well, so she's a very, very, very smart lady. And I put a proposition to her, because at the time, Absinthe was totally banned in France. And I said, well, if we can find a former producer of absinthe pre-banned, uh, if we can get round the French ban, would you, the uh, the museum, be the source of our recipe so we could guarantee everyone they were actually getting a, a, a pre-ban French real absinthe. And that was the, the Le Fay, which we have here. Um, and basically what happened was I discovered that with the, the people we were working with in France that the, the French ban was actually designed to protect the distilleries that were having to stop producing and it wasn't about the distilling, the ban was actually set up that they were told they couldn't sell Absinthe in France anymore and everyone assumed it was a blanket ban. So we were able to get permission reluctantly from the authorities to start producing because they couldn't say we couldn't do it but we promised and told them we would export the product out of France and that's how French Real Absinthe returned to France with Le Fay. Um, You can always tell Le Fay is the first brand in the market mainly because of the name. Uh, The historical nickname going back 150-odd years is La Faye Vert, which is the Green Fairy. Well, in about 1998-99, I applied for the trademark for La Faye Vert, and it was granted to me on the basis it hadn't been used for over 100 years. So I decided to chop off the Vert um, because I didn't want to be generic to the category. Um, We then filed the trademark for La Faye, which means the fairy, and that now sells, you know, over 20 to 26 to 30 different countries around the world, which we export to. We distill in the Rhône Alps. It's eight separate distillations. We blend the recipe, and then there's a separate process of maceration that brings in not just the natural colour, but also it changes the balance of flavour profile. So natural colour in an absinthe is very important, because it it also affects the whole flavour profile of the drink itself. Um, We then uh, have a sample Curried to the French Absinthe Museum and to myself in England or to Paris, depending where Marie-Claude Delahaye is. And for the last 22 years, she has taste-tested and sampled every single production that's been produced with myself prior to authorising it to be bottled and then we bottle in Paris, hence its Lafay Absinthe Superior Parisian, uh, which is where it's produced.
1: Amazing! That's an amazing story, George. Thanks so much for sharing it. And now I'm going to try some of this. <laughs> All right, talking now with Archipelago Gin co-founders from the Philippines and we're just having a quick interview here at the Cigar Factory event in New Orleans. So tell us a little bit about your product and what made you decide to distill some gin out in the Philippines
10: start. Um, first, I'll tell you about our product. It's Archipelago Botanical Gin. We're based in the Philippines, 40 minutes south of Manila. We make a botanical gin made of 28 botanicals, 22 are locally sourced from my country, the Philippines. Archipel- it's called Archipelago because there are 7,400 plus plus islands. And we've tried to take a representation of different botanicals from all the islands, not all, but main islands of the Philippines. And we hope it trans- when you try it, it Hope, we hope that it transports you to our country, which is a beautiful beach, beachy, tropical country.
8: So yeah, we got out of the gate four years ago
1: in 2018. And the idea really was very simple: fully authentic, transparent craft distilling, and really trying to change the narrative in the Philippines about the product and quality of spirits, and really put the Philippines on the craft spirits map. So we were picked up by Henry Price. We're in the U.S. now. We're just starting to roll out, and a very exciting time for the brand and for the Philippines. Okay, so we are just—we're going to have these uh, lovely people on a regular episode soon, and we're going to try and get them some uh, Canadian distribution, which is much needed. So thanks so much for doing this, guys. Your product is amazing, and uh, it was. A pleasure Meeting you.
8: Great,
1: great. our you pleasure. So Thank you. All right, so pleased to be here in New Orleans in person finally with Elise the Badass Bartender. Elise, how are you?
10: I'm great. How are you? I'm so happy to finally meet you in person.
1: Oh, it's crazy. This has been an awesome event for that. So,
10: yeah. Yeah, I've gotten to meet, you know, being a social media person, most of my interactions with people in the industry are always through social media, so yeah. it's so nice to have one place that we all get to come together and I get to meet all these cool people that I've talked to but never really gotten to meet.
1: Right, so you uh, you were on our show, what, like a long fucking time ago now?
10: It was a while, yeah. Yeah,
1: and so I was saying before we started recording that since that time, I feel like you've blown up to be one of the most important women in the service industry, so congratulations for that. I am going to take credit because I think that our show launched your whole career.
10: I think that I think that's how it happened. I think if anyone's on your show, then it'll happen. you got to yeah. On your show, though.
1: Yes, pay attention, people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this—it's been truly amazing. You must be thrilled, and it seems like a bit of a whirlwind.
10: It has been quite a whirlwind. Um, I'm—I mean, I'm super thrilled. This is—I didn't you know you you do things hoping that they're gonna take off but you don't always count on them too and so just the fact that it is starting to gain traction and this is starting to become a thing I'm just, I couldn't be more ecstatic
1: awesome and then you were on a panel at the at the tails this year so tell us about that
10: yeah so this is my first tales and I got asked to be on a panel um, it was called virtual is a vibe so it was me and three other uh, you know social media influencers that also do um, cocktail classes virtually so it was kind of talking all about about that and how you know that is very much the future and, and can continue to be the future.
1: Is that true? It, it can be the future.
10: Absolutely. I mean, I've been able to leave my full-time bartending job Holy because fuck. I've been able to do the classes, the mixology classes, virtually from my apartment. Barefoot,
4: feel like <laughs> you know, it's
10: an hour long class, really easy, and uh, and then doing the social media yeah. thing, working with different brands and, and doing content for them. Yeah, so now I I only have to work part time as a bartender. Oh, and that's hopefully a... one day I won't have to. Not
1: at all. That's I do it
10: mostly because I love it. It's therapy at this point for me.
1: Right. Well, that's amazing. I'm like honestly, I feel so proud of you. Thank <laughs> you. But but no. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your experience, your first Tales experience. i I've, I've talked to a bunch of people who have been here pre and post pandemic and how it's Changed, but you and I are doing it for the first time. So oh,
10: this is your first time too. This is,
1: yeah, this is my first time. So tell me about your experience so far, and uh, outside of obviously doing the panel.
10: Yeah, I mean it's been a little overwhelming. I won't lie. Is so there's just so many cool events going on. You, you, I think as a as a newbie, I want to hit all of them. I just get really overexcited. Um, but it's been great. Everyone's been super welcoming and super friendly, and it's it's just been nice to meet everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's been the same experience for me. And we were talking about this sort of before we started. Recording. Recording as well, like all these people who you kind of know, yeah. but not really yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, awesome, Elise. It's great to meet you in person. Thanks for doing this. And uh, you should come back on the show soon and do a real to. one.
10: Okay. Yeah, anytime.
1: Okay, we're going to go get a drink. <laughs> okay, we're talking with Nikki Price from Price Imports uh, here in New Orleans. Nikki, how are you?
5: I'm good. How are you?
1: Good. We just came from your event at the Cigar Factory. Uh, seemed like it went well.
5: Yes, our most successful event every year. Oh, yeah. By word of mouth.
1: And how many times have you done Tales of the Cocktail?
5: Personally or the yeah, company? Well, the company and personally. The company, 10 years. Oh, wow. And, well, that's not true. Backtrack. Two years of the 10 years, there wasn't really much sure, of a yeah, tale. Well, so eight years. Right. And then personally, I believe this is my fifth or sixth.
1: Talk to us a little bit about your company and the kind of brands you're bringing in.
5: Uh, Yeah, so we are an importer. I personally am third generation. This is a newer company because every generation seems to like to sell. We're not doing that anymore. Uh, We have successfully sold and got our name back three times. So here we are, Price Imports reinvented for the third time. And we focus on international products that are eclectic, unique, and niche. Uh, We try to have some of the most unique high quality spirits. Uh, Across the world
1: and okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. Have you noticed like how are what's the difference in sales? For instance pre and post plague
5: pre for us, being, having small brands, uh, really more guerrilla marketing grassroots, you know, we really had to thrive off of restaurants and on-prem to have people that love our brands, want to push and educate about them. It was really hard to do off-prem, and so I think what the pandemic did, as pretty much anybody of any size in this industry will say, is that retail went off the charts. And off-prem became a shift for every single company. Mm -hmm. And I can't say statistically, but I'm pretty sure people were like, you know what, I can actually make a cocktail. Right. And decided to go search out unique ingredients. And it's just been amazing for us, so.
1: I know, fuck those people, they're killing my business. (laughs) Just kidding. They're making mine grow. (laughs) Well, at least one of us is happy. (laughs) Awesome, thanks Nikki, appreciate you doing this. And best of luck going forward. Thank you. And now we're here with Henry Price, the founder of Price Imports, and uh, the what, we'll call you the head honcho. So it's, it's the head, that one.
7: okay. Yeah. <laughs> they call me the crazy guy that brings in every spirit that he can think of.
1: All right, well, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. Like, uh, Obviously, our podcast runs out of Canada. We have to deal with the LCBO in Ontario, which is a big pain in the ass. You are a little more open here. How do you find it is bringing like such small amazing niche products into the US and moving it around the country.
7: Well, it's of course very very different from the liquor control board because we can go looking for customers. With the control board, you're totally dependent on the control board saying, yeah, sure, we're interested, you know, do the paperwork, bring it in. We bring in what we like, right? So we've got kind of a really simple rule. It's do we like the supplier? If we like the supplier enough, there's a synergy, then we go, let's look at the product. If we love the product, we love the supplier, then that's what we look for. We're also about adding great products from different parts of the world, right? So we want to be a go-to Because what happens is that, you know, different restaurants, different bars, different themes, we want to have products that could fit into bigger brands that otherwise won't. And so that kind of makes us to go-to, and uh, it works. It takes a long time. It's hard to find distributors, but we're not tied down except for uh, 18 states, where it is a control state situation, a lot like Canada. Some are easier than others. Some will do special orders, and actually in Canada, uh, the British Columbia Board will do special orders. But generally speaking, it's difficult in Canada. So that's the big difference, is that we can bring it in, and then we can start looking at our distributors. We have 57 distributors around the U.S. So they don't all take on everything, but slowly it grows because, you know, we start with one product and then they find another one that works. Or we pick up an account and we say, hey, look, we now got a big account. Are you interested in sort of how it rolls for us?
1: And how many brands do you currently represent?
7: I think it's, you know, it's probably about 40 suppliers, and we probably have about 300 products through those suppliers.
1: That's amazing. Well, thanks very much, Henry. We appreciate you giving us a little time here, and uh, we'd love to have you on for a full episode sometime. Um, Just call me. All right. Thanks, Henry. Great event today, and great one yesterday as well. Great meeting you. you. Thank you. All right, so I'm here with Janae Williams at Tales of the Cocktail, and was super excited to talk to her because she's such a big part of what goes on here at Tales of the Cocktail, wow. born and raised in New Orleans, and uh, she's been I on some panels, many done. panels it seems like. How many panels did you do this week?
11: Oh, gosh. I only did one panel, but I've done so many events. I want to say one, I think I've done ten events this week. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> you must be
1: exhausted. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm definitely exhausted. <laughs> this
11: is my very last thing of the week, so I'm just going to go take a big nap.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for doing it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, okay, so a couple things I wanted to ask you about Tales. Um... In general, like, how many, so how many Tales of the Cocktail have you done now? And, um, the other thing I'm sort of interested in knowing is, like, if you notice any difference pre- and post-pandemic.
11: Okay, so I, uh, I've been in the cocktail space since about 2017. Um, that was my first foray with Tales. I didn't really know what to expect. I heard about this conference that happened every year. I wasn't aware of how, you know, big it was. And um, we'd have... I worked almost every day. Uh, we'd have c- people come from, you know, all around the country, all around the world, really. And I just asked questions like, you know, what what are you doing here? You know, I'm hosting a panel. I own three bars in New York City. And I'm like, wow, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I remember talking to a bartender one time and he said, yeah, I won the chartreuse competition and they blew us out the tails. And I'm like, oh, they do that?
2: <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, so
11: that's... Um, I I honestly can credit Tails to kind of like um, teaching me what was out there for bartenders because all these people come into town and you never know the different job titles that exist or the different opportunities that exist unless you were to attend Tails and meet all these people who do these things. Um, 2018, I would say, was the first time that I actually attended Attended, and um, it... I feel like this year the attendance wasn't as big, but also I wasn't, I was doing events most of the time, so I didn't see the crowd, but I do remember in 2018, um, it was at the Montelian still, and uh, it was a really good opportunity, there were still so many parties, Um, I do remember going to a lot more panels, and a lot more talks, I feel like there were more, it was more intimate, and I don't know if that's because of the hotel space, um, but it felt a lot more intimate, um, just a few more opportunities than um, post-pandemic, um, and then last year, Paul, well, yeah, I didn't do anything. 2019 or 2000 um, or 2020, 2021 I hosted the awards, which was um, digital. I hosted the Spirit Awards. I apologize, right? Um, because the conference was digital, everything was on camera. Of course, it was like really weird. I did attend some panels then. It felt, um, it still felt. Personal, like I felt maybe because there were only the, the panelists on the Zoom screen. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
4: That
11: It felt personal, but less tangible, of course. That's what happens when you do virtual things. Um, I feel like there was a less opportunity for questions Right. Um, doing that and, you know, just face-to-face time. Because Tails, I feel like one of the most important things about Tails is just getting out there and being able to shake hands with people and tell them who you are, what you do. Um, and then of course this year it's come back and I think the biggest kind of feeling that everyone has is just everybody's happy to see everybody yeah. so that's I think a lot and specifically with like a bunch of the liquor companies and their big parties and things they want to create kind of like a family vibe for example Diageo did a family reunion And they had it in this big warehouse space with all their brands doing different things around where everybody could just like mingle in the middle, which is really great. And I I appreciate them for that because um, that's definitely how I felt. It was good seeing all of the people I haven't seen in years, but also, you know, learning and networking with new people.
1: Right. Um, so you were mentioning the space. The hotel that it was, was it in a hotel previously as well, but just a smaller one? Is that what you mean by more yeah. intimate?
11: I'm not sure if the Monteleon is smaller, but the Monteleon was a hotel that they always did it in. Mm. And because I feel like it might be an older hotel as well. So the rooms were, you know, had old architecture and they were smaller and the acoustics um,
1: Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
11: So, yeah, you could, it it just felt like you, the panels, you were talking, like you were talking to someone you knew, you Mm. know what I mean? It was, it felt closer uh, as compared to the Ritz, which has these, like, conference rooms and it's, they're so far away, you know what I mean? Yeah. It felt like more of a personal connection because if the Monteleon kind of gives the vibe of intimate B- B&B hotel, whereas the Ritz is really nice and they, you know, make it really nice for professional conferences that aren't tails.
1: Uh, so you've also uh, sort of uh, based your career on in the social media realm right now. So talk to us a little bit about that. I know that was kind of the focus of the panel you were on this year. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can give our listeners a little idea of, like, What's available to bartenders, outside? Now, honestly, it, as an aside, this fucking sucks for me because I own bars and now people want to just do bartending over social media oh, instead of just coming yeah. to work for me, but I'm, I'm not blaming you.
11: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will say that there's nothing, nothing compares to being an actual bartender. And like
1: That's I what I want to hear.
11: <laughs> yeah, nothing compares, because you really need, and I've, I've had people ask me recently to be their mentor It's usually people who have never bartended before because most of my audience on social media besides, you know, my friends and people who know me through the industry are home bartenders or beginner bartenders who resonate with my content. And they'll be like, yeah, you know, I want to do social media and I want to bartend on for the camera. I'm like, but do you actually know how to bartend?
9: Right.
4: Have you actually
11: (laughs) been in a space? They don't realize that you actually need to do the work.
9: Right. And
11: build up that repertoire. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing like being an actual bartender because it's going to go away. And, you know, you do have to progress at some point you know not everybody can be a bartender forever some people can and kudos to them I just know it's not something my knees appreciate
1: oh that's I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly why I kind of had to move into like I I realized the point I was bartending for like fucking I don't know, almost 30 years. And then I was like, okay, I can feel the, like, I would wake up in the morning and I would, like, getting out of bed sounded like Rice Krispies. And and so then I was like, I got it. So I I started moving into ownership. But now there's, so this is kind of interesting to talk about. Now there's so many more avenues you can get into still staying in the service industry, but not, it used to be before, it was like either you moved into ownership or you just got the fuck out. So talk to us a little bit about some of the avenues that are available for some people.
11: Yeah, absolutely. So, Um, Me personally, I see myself as a brand ambassador for all. So you could absolutely work with a brand um, and just uh, be a brand ambassador or help distribute for sure. You can help um, sell products. You can help um, create uh, events and kind of like activations. That's definitely a thing. Uh, In terms of social media, I... I knew that the influencer world for the beverage industry was coming. There just isn't like a kind of like algorithm for it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. There's no, like, for so for beauty influencers, oh, they'll get, you know, mascara and foundation and all these things. I needed to figure out how to translate that to liquor because it, it was always something that I wanted to do. It was always something that I was interested in doing. I just knew that I wanted to do it with bartending. Mm-hmm. Um, so, most of my time is just spent uh, messaging brands, like a regular influencer. Messaging brands, tell them how much I love like their brand, and uh, you know, asking them if they'd like to sponsor some content, or you know, sponsor a cocktail class or something like that. So that's definitely something you could do. You just need to figure out who to
1: ask. Okay, so I'm sort of interested in this as well because, um, like, message just cold calling brands and stuff like that. You obviously have to have some sort of a social media presence already. Did you find it like? How many say "quote unquote" followers? Just like you don't have to give me a finite number, but like, yeah. like around the amount before you were able to just cold call brands and say, "Why don't you sponsor me?"
11: Um, honestly, I don't think the amount of followers is as important as your content quality. Okay. I think anybody... So, I only have 4,000 followers or maybe like 4,300 Oh, really? Okay. Um, and I make a living off of yeah. 4,300 followers. So, it's possible to make a living with 1,000 followers, if that. And then the page that I use now is technically my personal page, but I mostly use it for um, liquor content. But I think it's just do you you have to do it before you get paid for it right Mm -hmm. so you can't just say oh I want to make videos and wait for somebody to give you the opportunity you have (laughs) to create them for
4: yourself so
11: I was I've been doing videos since um, 2020 since the pandemic and I had been doing it and that's how most of my opportunities came people saw my videos and were like well you can do this can you do this or it's like well can you do that or can you do that same thing for me right so in order to get people to ask you to do it. You have to do it yourself already. So, if you are considering doing a social media content or trying to get paid for something, anything, just start doing it. And then, once you are ready to ask people to pay you for it, then you have this nice little resume. and These are all the other things I've done. You know. Do
1: you have any other ideas about uh, sort of? Uh, Should I see how to phrase this properly? But like. Uh, because of the pandemic and how people have been shifting and people have been moving away from working in physical bars and restaurants, like, so what are some of the other ways to monetize the job of a bartender or a server outside of just doing cocktail creation on social media? Um,
11: I would say teaching cocktail classes is definitely one. Um, you can, And that's something that you can do yourself. If you want to teach virtual classes, um, you can basically just create an event break and get people to pay for it and they'll watch you make cocktail classes. You can also uh, partner with brands like Shaker and Spoon who do cocktail boxes uh, for bartenders in their classes. Um, I think the Cocktail Guru might do it too. Also the Mixologer um, sells boxes as well if you want to kind of buy the boxes and sell them yourself and be like, hey, let's do a class, let's do you know, a corporate class. Um, so there's. Definitely that. Like I said, brand ambassadorship. Um, Also, there is the opportunity to move into distillation. If you ever, you know, liked a spirit enough to want to start making it, you could definitely do that. I know there's, if you're considering going back to school, or you uh, would consider going back to school, Kentucky has a great hospitality program. Go to Kentucky, um, learn about whiskey, learn about distillation, and you could work for almost anybody, I feel like. Um, In terms of bartending bartender's transition to mobile bartending so you can work events and um i'm there's i know people making six figures doing
1: that yeah that was one of my motivators for going out on my own yeah we've uh talked to a few people recently actually on the show who have been doing the mobile bartender thing and it's like it's just exploded it's like it's kind of like the new way to open your own business without a whole lot of money going out which i wish someone would have told me about a long time ago (laughs) but yeah but that is kind of a new space for it so um Talking about, uh, you were born and raised in New Orleans. You've been... Yeah, sorry, uh, you don't have to tell me the answer if you don't want to, but how old are you? I'm
11: 31.
1: 31. Okay. So you've been, obviously, able to drink legally for a long time. How, like the Obviously, New Orleans is one of the greatest cities in the world to come drink in. Um, how has... How, if at all, has it changed since the pandemic? Because I know, like, in so many places in the world, like, legendary bars closing down and not enough people to staff it. Like, do you feel like the same thing's happening here or not so much?
11: Um, I absolutely do. Um, So... During that pandemic, pretty much everybody closed down, just as they did around the nation. And a lot of bartenders had to pivot, so they found other jobs. Me being on social media was my pivot. Right. Um, so we lost a lot of staff. Um, and then also, because we live in, or because we're in New Orleans, we had we were already used to the to-go cocktail game. So a lot of bars were able to stay open. We didn't really have that many closures, just because of that fact. We Our, our community is so um cocktail centric that people wanted to drink it was just kind of like transitioning that from from to-go cocktails from the bar to to to-go cocktails to your house right so that was kind of like our transition so we didn't really lose that that much in terms of business but um, in terms of workforce, we did. Um, I, when I first started out on entrepreneurship, I was just kind of picking up shifts everywhere, or where uh, I want to say wherever I could. But literally everybody I asked was like, "Yeah, just come by," because
4: right. they were yeah, <laughs> yeah, they
11: were so short staffed, and I yeah. feel like that's still the situation. Um, not as much anymore, but yeah, still. If you weren't if you weren't like a high level career bartender, you probably found something else to do. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the, the city is slowly coming back. Um, things like Tales of the Cocktail and Mardi Gras have helped us kind of like see okay we can we can do this now and I feel like a lot of people a lot of bartenders are um, coming into the city I've, I've met a couple of bartenders who just moved just moved to New Orleans so it's it's building up but it's not there yet and then there's also the fact that these companies have to make working at their bars um, they, ha- they have to make people want to work at their bars I feel like they're not they're still not paying enough that's the reason that's the main reason why I would never or I don't want to have a long-term job is because I'm not gonna make any money and it's taking away from me investing in myself
4: Right.
11: they don't want to pay um, and they think that you know it is okay they don't want to provide health insurance they don't want to do things now I'm not saying that's everybody but Louisiana is notorious for not paying people like we had during the pandemic we had the lowest what's the word I'm looking for the lowest unemployment
1: yeah, okay. so so yeah. So that's interesting And like, sorry, I, I'm, I'm keeping you a little longer Than I meant to, but are you still cool uh, to yeah, keep going? I'm okay, good, alright okay. uh, Yeah, okay, well you're just interesting so, <laughs> But, um, okay, so uh, I have a couple questions to follow up questions about that One is, so you're saying like They're not willing to pay like a living wage To help people stay in the industry And how do you feel about work conditions A, in general for people In the service industry in New Orleans And B, for women
11: So I'm not super connected with, um, you know, club bars or sports bars. I'm more connected with the the cocktail bars and I think their work environments have gotten better actually over the pandemic because they've realized we can't lose our people because then we lose our quality
1: yeah and and for those types of bars you need good staff like that's the thing you can't just have anybody back there like trying to make high-end cocktails
11: yeah absolutely so they've kind of pivoted but still they'll they'll take the opportunities I was picking up at a restaurant that I will not name who lowered their minimum wage or their pay by a dollar and it wasn't that much money to begin with. And then I go to events and I realize that my friends in New York, my friends in Canada are making 10 to $15 an hour.
1: Right. And
11: it's like, well, I can't work for $5 an hour down here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is
1: That's that what some, it is? $5 an hour?
11: Some people are paying that. Holy fuck.
1: And yeah, I yeah. Because, I'm like, obviously, I'm from Kitchener. just just said, Toronto, it's $15 an hour for all of our employees there, which is that they finally moved the server minimum wage to the same mm-hmm. as regular minimum yeah. wage. Yeah.
11: And I feel like people think that servers aren't servers and bartenders aren't worth it. But when you pay them they will their i feel like their productivity will increase yeah. because they know they're 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 making that money their their life their life enjoyment increases because they can afford the things that they need. For. It's just basic necessities, you know. Right. You can't afford basic necessities. Why? How can you be in the correct mindset to go to work when you're worried about bills and childcare and things like that? Right. I just think it's smart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just like it, it seems like just fucking common sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thanks so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. I know you're tired. It's the end of a long week. Um, so I really appreciate you giving me the time. Tell our listeners where they can find you on social media.
11: Okay, so I am on Instagram at uh, janae.angel, that's J-N as in Nancy, A as in Apple, I. A N G E L L E. And you can also follow my business page, Pretty Magic Cocktails. I'm going to start doing classes every week, hopefully in a month. So stay tuned for that.
1: Thanks so much. Okay, and now we're here. We're here with Danny Posey, the industry podcast. We're sipping cocktail, or we're trying to sip some cocktails at Peixote's, uh in uh, just off Bourbon Street. Danny, how you doing? Uh, good man. How's it going, Kim? Good, good, good. So you have been here for a lot longer than me this week. You've been here since Sunday. Tell me first how your liver's doing, and then secondly, like well, how your time's been. Right. Man, it's been good. Uh, didn't realize how exhausting Tails
6: was going to be. Yeah. Um, I ended up taking yesterday off, just kind of like relax, recover, take a day away from drinking and being around people. But overall, Tails has been good. Like for a first experience, it's been a good experience.
1: Good, good. Um, and so you're from Arkansas? Yes, Fayetteville. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, tell me about the scene. It, like, like what? What? I, I have. Na- I know nothing about Arkansas. So, tell me about the bar scene there. What kind of bar you work in? What the general clientele is? Are there craft cocktail bars in Arkansas? Tell me everything. Very
6: cool. So, Fayetteville is actually the university town. So, we're in a major
1: college town. So,
6: primary clientele is going to be your 21, 22 year old college students. Most of them are transplants, like University of Arkansas. Yes, University of Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, my bar. Is- is two blocks from campus so oh, I'm riding right the heart of downtown shit, that sounds
1: dangerous yeah. it's fun
6: it's a nightmare but yeah it's my bar is kind of an industry hybrid I have a two story bar I have a rooftop open air patio so upstairs is mostly speed bar where your frat bros are going to get your vodka red bulls and your vodka tonics and your seltzers uh, downstairs is more of a craft cocktail bar so I took over as manager about a year and a half ago and have tried to revamp the cocktail program that was not existent before I was there. So we have anywhere from a $5 pour of tequila to a five hundred dollars pour of tequila. Uh,
1: Likewise with tequila. Or with whiskeys. so. Nice. Awesome. Well, that's, uh, uh, and uh, so your general clientele is, tends to be university students. So you're probably not selling a ton of those $560. You know, I'm in a weird spot. So if you're not familiar
6: with the Northwest Arkansas region, we're the Walmart corporate headquarters is about twenty miles from my barn. Oh, okay. So the Walton money and then all of their investors and then all of their vendors are required to have an office there. Right. So again I get everything from 20, freshly twenty year one year old student to multi billionaire Walmart executive. Right.
1: Um, okay, so let's pivot to like what we're doing right now. This is your first Tales of the Cocktails and my first Tales of the Cocktail. Oh, how have you enjoyed it?
6: Oh, Tell's been great. I think the biggest thing was the fear of missing out, and I overbooked myself, and then realizing that I don't have to do it all.
1: Yeah, I think we all do that. Like you just sign up for everything, and then you realize, okay, fuck, I can't get to everything. So it like, and I think the the vibe here is like, if you if you're having fun at a spot, don't rush it, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, I've done two other events this year. This is so much
6: different than what I've seen. Because it's more of a just like drop in, hang out, have a good time, leave. Yeah. And less of an education, workshop, vendor-focused like seminar. Right, right, right. right.
1: Yeah, like uh, the Meat Distillers today was a little bit different because you're kind of like, it's almost like the, like we were talking about earlier, like the the bar and restaurant uh, show in Vegas where it's like lots of... Distilling vendors, like just like a little sip here, a little sip there, a little sip there. Um, but in general, that whole scene at the Ritz has been a little bit more casual than what you generally find at these shows.
6: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I would say it's more of just bringing the community of bar professionals, whether you're owners, bartenders, vendors, marketing, just bring you all together and just having a week of community events. and
5: Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's great. It's like, I, I, I've been super impressed with the way it's been laid out. Plus, it's great to hang out in New Orleans for a week. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, when do you fly out?
6: Uh, I actually fly out tomorrow evening yeah, on right. Saturday. I had to rebook my flight because I was initially booked on a 7 a.m. flight. And I knew for the final day that that was not happening. So I actually booked myself for the next 12 hours. So I'm just going to explore the city tomorrow and do the touristy stuff now that tells us endings. Sure.
1: And what's your plan for this evening? Uh, not sure yet, man. Yeah? Like Kind of seeing where the night's going. Um, yeah. yeah. Good for you. All right, man. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Danny is an Arkansas bartender. Fayetteville. Fayetteville. Go Razorbacks. Woo pig. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for doing it. Okay, I am with the lovely women of the team behind Cocktail Vision. Of course, Yelena, everyone's very familiar with now. How are you?
12: Hey, guys.
1: Uh, Maddie, new to the show.
3: Hello, hello.
1: And Eunice, also new to the show. Hello. (laughs) So, we just were going to talk about briefly uh, being here in New Orleans together and how we've lost some memories together.
2: We're well, happy to lose. Actually, yeah. <laughs> we we refound them this morning. Uh, we found them. We, we her bread <laughs> crumb our way. Yes. So
3: <laughs> I.
1: Happens in Nola.
12: Stays in Nola.
1: It's been awesome to hang out uh, together with you guys in person and meet you too. And uh, we just had a crazy night last night out at Vaughn's. That was super fun. But what I want to talk about more chiefly is like your experience throughout the whole week at Tales of the Cocktail. Let's start with you, Maddie. How was your week? How like tell me about your experience at Tales of the Cocktail?
3: Well, it was my first time in New Orleans and at Tales of the Cocktail. It was good. You think you know what you're getting yourself prepared for, you know? Like you build a whole schedule, everything is lined out day by day. And then I <laughs> mean, think you
12: build the schedule because I didn't build
3: anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was very much like kind of a free for all um but it was really cool how you could kind of just uh cherry pick all your activities and classes and stuff and kind of see what makes sense for you and your business and your company or whatever it is that you're here for. Maybe you just like to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe
2: you just like to drink.
3: <laughs> if you like to drink, this is the place to come to. <laughs> yeah,
1: I've, I've heard a rumor.
3: Maybe <laughs> you just want to party. No. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs>
13: this is the place to be a mooch. Eunice,
1: <laughs> you know, tell me about ex- the specific events you guys have done this week.
13: So the first one that we attended was a Johnny Walker a draft. Right. Di- Diageo.
12: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Diageo, Diageo Academy of Cocktails.
13: So that was interesting because Because I think that was like the first look. I think, we, well, at least me personally, my first impression, like talking about flavor profiles and like expanding your palate and like how everything, how you can enhance those things, like knowing Yelena and what she currently does with her cocktails. I felt like there was a lot to be able to take away where we can build on the talent that you already have. But it's like little nuggets like that that maybe we're not exposed to on the regular, or we can't like read up on that kind of stuff. You can only gather that information when you're attending Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that. I think that was super helpful. And also, kind of seeing like industry insights on what the trends are coming to be. that one was like so, the best that was the, definitely one of the, the, the best game.
3: classes that yeah we because class.
13: then it kind of helps us to be able to read the industry a little bit mm-hmm. and see how we can help you know how can mm-hmm. our products be moldable mm-hmm. to fit what's mm-hmm. going on in the industry and how people are trying to like you know at the end of the day you, you want to make a buck, but you still want to make Quality stuff, you know. Right. So, like, how can we, you know, help mm-hmm. with our products, or how can mm-hmm. we enhance them? So that was how can we long and be ahead of a, ahead of the industry, the curve, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ahead the, of the to, curve. to start already, yeah. Start, this is what. So it started off with you, a bang. I think of it, and uh, it is a bang continuing. too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just had an amazing, successful yeah. event. Yeah, it was great. I mm-hmm. think uh, the whole experience has been super. Not only fun but also like it, it educational. Helps. Educational mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. it's inspiring too. It kinda mm-hmm. helps open up your mind a little bit more to like exactly. understand, you know, and get going creative on. too. Yeah.
1: And do you feel like like the event like say today when you are at like the distiller tasting you thing or what me, me you meet the distillers? Um, like did you feel like you got your product out into the universe a little bit more?
12: So i I felt that we were we were so our product is so innovative, right and we were so well um, greeted. So it was very actually refreshing to find our product so innovative like yeah. I believe in our product and I know it's incredible, fantastic but to see such a warm welcome mm-hmm. and to see uh, uh, people resonating with our product and what we we are trying to do, we're here to inspire the bartenders and mixologists. We're here to elevate their skills and make it easier, make it easier for caterers as well. Like whether you're making it as a craft cocktail where it takes you 10 minutes to make mm-hmm. it to 10 seconds to mm-hmm. make it, Our product is that versatile. And to be able to actually share with people exactly how, well, some, some ways that we Using our products and to see the just the, that light bulb go mm-hmm. up and go go uh, go up and they like think how they can uh, implement it in their business.
3: It definitely was kind of that that confirmation that, that like we you're in the right direction. We're in the right
12: direction and like this is something different. Just be, because the product is so innovative, oh, it's yeah. sometimes um, not that I question it. I mean, I never do because I think it's brilliant. But to see that. You know, Others embrace the mm-hmm. and praise from mm-hmm. the people in the industry, yeah. where you get oh, you guys are brilliant. Nothing like that has ever been. I've created. never seen anything like this yeah. before. Yeah, that, that's definitely inspiring.
1: Well, as an outsider too, like I like when you should first started showing me your products and sent them to me. I was like, oh, I've never seen anything like this before. But again, I live in fucking Canada, so <laughs> <laughs> there's a million things we've never seen before, like you know insurrections <laughs> and shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh
12: <my> <laughs> but this is, but, a cocktail. This is world. Yeah. world Worldwide right, but to like, be
1: able to... but like, walking around today at the distiller's thing, I like there was nothing like Definitely, your product. Yeah. There was nobody else shopping anything close to what you guys do. Right. So, if people like it or hate it, at least it's the most it's unique different. thing out yeah. there, right? Which I think is the best thing that you can say about it. So, yeah.
12: And you missed the beginning of the week, and in the beginning of the week, we attended a lot of the events, and nothing like what we do is represented. No. That's why I, I believe that we are and here to inspire the, the, the world. And Lynette, I, Lynette is one of the
13: educators, one of the for, educators. Cocktail, uh, for Tales of the Cocktail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she was, actually she said, she suggested that we should do... A, a seminar, seminar next educational mm-hmm. seminars. What we you. do mm-hmm. she's like, no one does that. No one really talks about that kind of stuff. There's I nothing know. about the presentation
1: of well, like cocktails. Well, yeah, and like your your company is specifically devoted to the appearance of the cocktail mm-hmm. rather appearance. than what's in the glass so much. And like that's a massive important. Like you've talked me into it. and You know, mm-hmm. like how I feel about that <laughs> shit. Garnishes, jam. yeah. yeah. He, like, doesn't like
12: garnishes.
1: By, but I've, you're selling me on it, and and <laughs> I will say like why. Seeing what happened today, like there, you guys had like a three d lineup all day long, like I, you guys were working and sweating, especially after the night we had last night. <laughs> no, I'm
0: sweating in the,
12: what, in, the, in, the, in the fifty degree yeah. room, right? Yeah. The it was so cold in there.
1: But that's good news. Like yours was one of the busiest tables all for the whole day, and I did yeah. walk around to a bunch of them so I can say that with certainty so you guys are doing you're obviously on the right path the product's amazing you guys are great ambassadors for it it was so great to hang out with you at the show and thanks for doing this
3: yes thank you you.